Welcome to The Morning Show with Ryan and Taylor. It is March 13th in Sydney, Australia. The point of the podcast here is to talk to my friend Ryan about our thoughts and feelings about the week. Ryan, how are you? I'm good. Hi, Taylor. Good morning. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's been a minute. Uh, yes. It's, it's snowing here in New York. <laughs> ah. um, uh, it's about to be daylight savings time. I was worried that we were going to like chat and then I was going to miss you <laughs> because... Um, right, right. Cause the, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, all in all, not too bad. Uh, we've been settling into, uh, I guess, kind of different routines. and uh, it's, But it's been nice to, to catch up. And, uh, and of course, record and uh, say hello to all our listeners uh, on the morning show. Yeah, uh, I think it's important to be upfront and uh, address. I don't know. I just want to frame this conversation. I think that this is going to be the last episode of this iteration of the morning show. I think we've both just sort of started to do other things because you've moved to a new city and you have a vibrant and active social life. And I started volunteering at a dog shelter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All, Which is a different. Yeah. 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 Different, different, uh, different activities, but, uh, I don't know. I, it's been great to, to hear about it. Uh, we're going to hear about it, uh, on the show. But uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think we've 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 entered different rhythms, and that's okay. Uh, I, yeah. I really appreciate this show for um, what it's done for us uh, as just an outlet, and yeah. uh, it's it's great too. I mean, I haven't really listened to any um, old episodes recently, but uh, I'd be curious to hear which one. You probably the. Uh, one of the earlier ones, I think today, at least on this side of the world, is like the two-year anniversary of yeah, you know, things getting real. And yeah, yeah. I think this was sort of a... It's that exactly lines up with like when COVID started, but it was right around then. And uh, it was definitely an outlet for us to have a relationship and something to work on just to be out of the... Uh, mentally out of the, the COVID pandemic and and though it's still going on and it's still affecting people and people i know right now have covid and and it's not like the problem is gone but it certainly feels like it, the attitudes of people have changed yeah. <laughs> and uh mask mandates have lifted here and and things are right. just different and it seems like a nice time to sort of coincide that this coping mechanism for covid mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh start to wind down yeah, yeah 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 and i think you know that never say never i think there's a lot about this show that we can uh refresh and 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 kind of uh, look at differently in terms of content uh but i think uh yeah let's let's take a pause right now to again settle uh figure things out in uh, this new phase of our lives I, I i it's the same thing that you're describing in your neck of the woods is happening over here and uh yeah sort of building our own again you know there's lots of things personally and socially that are going on that i'd love to be able to update you on after a bit of this break and, yeah uh, definitely yeah. And, and you know our friendship still goes on it's just that the uh the effort put into arranging the specific time mm -hmm. and editing mm -hmm. a podcast and putting it up and and just having something recorded and being out there in the ether is its own kind of stress and so I think for both of us, it's just a good time to say, put a period at the end of the sentence and we will certainly uh, make new things and, and collaborate together again in the future. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, 
you're coming over to uh, stateside at some point, and yep. uh, maybe maybe we'll record something, maybe we won't. But uh, that, of course, has its own different dynamic. Can't wait to like bear hug the crap out of you, man. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so and uh, yeah, yeah. I've I've got some time off uh, coming up soon, and uh, Australia is open, right? Yeah, yeah, it's open to visitors. Yeah, now. so uh, yeah. would love to to entertain that uh, sometime either this year, yeah, over. soon, and uh, we'll we'll figure something out. But it's it's uh, it's been an honor. It's been it's been real. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great. It's been a wonderful uh, side project yeah, for sure. It's probably this this has probably gone on as long as we did the morning show when we first did it. Probably, yeah, yeah. Back on the uh, radio iteration. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't know if we had any neat little bow to say, like, that was the end of the, mo- you know, th- that version of the morning show. But here we have that opportunity. Yeah, exactly. And I think we should take that opportunity to recognize that, give it the honor it deserves. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, Ryan, what have you been up to now that you live in New York City? It seems like you're much more established. You've been there for a couple months now. Yeah. What has been going on? Um, it's... Uh, a lot there's there's a lot of distraction there's a lot of activity i think i'm no, i'm no longer overstimulated right i'm just like the baseline level of stimulated which is that oh i've got to you know i've got to get to work and i've got to um and i'm scheduling drinks or something with so and so and i'm like dating and it's like a complete train wreck and it, it's <laughs> there's and i want to go to this event and go to this museum and buy this thing and eat this ridiculous thing it's it's all um uh, I, I think with all of that activity, I think what's really been interesting is that I'm trying to dis, um, decipher and determine what the like is noise and what is not actually helpful for me. So um, it's been great to have that time to figure that out. Uh, but I've been going to work. Uh, we've actually been going back to the office since last week on a uh, hybrid kind of level. So uh, the cadence is... Tuesdays and Thursdays in the office where things get done um, but there's also a lot of like idle chit chat and lots of water cooler coffee gossipy you know talk which I missed yeah Um, it's the most valuable part of being in the office at least for the employee for sure it's a the social arena that I had missed um Otherwise, trying to cultivate a social life either by uh, doing the apps. They're my own form of social media now. Of course. And, uh, which is a new, this is a new enterprise, but uh, I'm hoping to get into it more the longer I'm I'm here. Um, But volunteering in the city? Like, you know. What do you volunteer? So, uh, right, uh, I used a volunteer like a paid volunteer day through work which i'm glad that they offer um to volunteer for rauschenbusch metro ministries so it's like it's an extension of a baptist church in uh hell's kitchen right so you know uh western sort of midtown side of, of manhattan but they have kind of basic needs services social services for folks, uh, for homeless folks, for folks who are, um, you know, part of the LGBTQIA community, it's that that kind of intersection of uh, folks who need, you know, food, clothing, shelter, uh, access or referrals to other resources that'll get them to an economically self-sufficient uh, place. 
So I helped out with their food pantry, which is just unloading a bunch of goods. I never want to carry a sack of potatoes again because it's like a body <laughs> bag. Um, uh. And yeah, and getting that all ready for distribution. Uh, so, and uh, that's yeah, great. it was great. It's a great way to meet people. Uh, I signed up for this project um, called Gay for Good. It's a, well, rather, it's a it's an organization that uh, corrals folks from the community as well as allies to do a community service project. So I think we're cleaning up some part of um, a park in Brooklyn in a few weeks, and that'll that'll be my first uh, foray into that type of um, that organization. But there's plenty of uh, agencies around the city that connect people to volunteer opportunities. They put them through an orientation. They make sure that they get vaccinated or that, that they have show proof of vaccination. I don't think they have to do that now. Um, availability. Uh, that So it's, it's a whole ecosystem that mm-hmm. I've been really fortunate to tap into. But uh, that's what I've been doing. What about you? Well, wait, I want to talk about volunteering. When you look, well, how do you find, how did you find Gay for Good? And when you make Mm. a decision about what Roush Herman Bookler, (laughs) when you make a, when you make a decision about where you're going to spend your volunteer time, like, how do you do that? Great. Um, so I heard about Gay for Good. I don't, I think through, they have a Pittsburgh branch, believe it or not. And it was, uh, there was a newsletter circulating, uh, in Pittsburgh. I'm not really sure how I stumbled upon it, but I never did any of those projects. They didn't seem really interesting, or I maybe I just didn't have the time. So, uh, and this one seems pretty like low-hanging fruit. 30 volunteers, park cleanup. I've done a park cleanup before, right? Maybe there's mulch, maybe there's like grabbing of weeds involved. It's not that high maintenance. I can do that. Yeah. Um, but... So there was an equivalent uh, website, in, or there's plenty of volunteer opportunity databases out there, Volunteer Match, Pittsburgh Cares that uh, I got acclimated to in the like kind of earliest days of this type of work. And I just naturally thought that there would be a New York clearinghouse for that, which there is. And you know, it's cool. and yeah, any competent search database will do is like filter things based on your availability, based on interest, based on um uh where like what neighborhoods of course they're in and mm-hmm. uh comfort level or in you know what kind of uh I guess uh, experience with volunteering so if there's one that's like okay like newbies involved or no we want committed folks or no we want people with cars um yeah, yeah right so uh, i love that something could, is out there that is so granular and then still does a lot of you know uh there's still a degree of high touch when it comes to an orientation and getting you know a sense of like why are you volunteering and do you know that like you, know, you can't do a b and c and then uh, what I think is great is that they more often than not assign a volunteer. You're never just like going out there and expecting to just like do stuff. There's a team captain who is responsible for leading efforts and uh, evaluating uh, your work. So that like it, you're, you're, you sign up, but you're there as a privilege. So if you find, they find that there's any reason not, because I guess there are folks who, um, yeah, I guess volunteer under more uh, malicious 
intentions or circumstances, um, or they don't know like how to vet those folks beforehand. And so the best that they can do maybe is to uh, kind of delegate that work to one person, and then if it turns out wrong, then that person deals with it. Um, yeah, it's it's a well-oiled machine, at least here. And uh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, I felt I felt good about it. Right, I, I got all the requisite feelings out of like okay i did this thing i expended a certain amount of energy and labor into it uh and i got to know about you know i think what's interesting about the evaluation uh post-service is like did you learn about the mission did you like did you want to do this again what about it was difficult did they give you breaks uh did they give you water like it's this kind of experience that is meant to coddle you but also um, make sure that you know that this is something that you should do too. That it's a muscle that you want to flex. Are those uh, are those team captains compensated? Are it how much of this? Where do, is there any money flowing through these volunteer organizations? Is I'm just trying to figure out how people are motivated to do these things. And money is like the main motivator in our society. Money is probably the the um, involved. I get there's probably some like small funding for capacity building, probably training the trainer to do this work. I don't know if they pay them, but um, yeah. Uh, And probably insurance. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. yeah. And they probably have to, those agencies probably have to pay a fee for the like database so that they can, uh, because it's basically just a classifieds page to a degree. I don't know. I always think like, uh, can you run that? Like, if you're if you're volunteering and theoretically, and I hate thinking about this, but your time is worth an amount of money that is based on your employment mm-hmm, agreement, mm-hmm, right? And that's mm-hmm. evil and wrong, and we should right, work to dismantle right. that system. Okay. All right. Now, stepping through this circle, then you go spend X amount of hours working uh, in in something that you're not normally doing but is approved by the organization that owns you in this terrible capitalist system sorry i'll stop that and then (laughs) and then there that that volunteer organization is presumably getting some benefits from being a volunteer organization such as free labor let's let's say and and you why isn't there also why isn't this database system why does that cost money to the volunteer organization if it does and can't you keep running that? And the answer would be like, well, it costs money to run the servers. And then can't you can't can't you keep running that cost back to be like, well, this database is for volunteers, and it's vetted by these organizations. And so why can't we run these servers for free? And then Amazon should go. Amazon probably runs and owns the servers, and they should go. All right. Well, we make a trillion zillion dollars a second, so it costs us 0.5 cents to run these per second. So let's just let that cost go. Like how far back do you think you can get before somebody goes, no, I need a cut of money? I don't know, right? And I'm just using servers as the example yeah. because. I guess yeah, like, who, you know, who is the person in power who decides that like, no, this is altruism, right? Like we just let it go. Yeah, exactly. Um, everyone's like suffering, right? The database itself, I'm sure is its own, is actually a nonprofit. And so they don't make any money office. Um, Insurance, I think I could see the yeah. other one because insurance is tied to medical health and that's a nightmare in itself and nobody's untangling yeah. that. 
<laughs> Biden. <Yeah. laughs> Although I'm sure everyone just signs waivers, right? Everybody just like gives up all of their rights yeah. for you know to anything, and so. But that's so scary. I mean, that's such a disincentive to get anybody to do anything. It's yeah, like, I wouldn't. I mean, there's a reason I live in a left America mm-hmm, mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. that it's just safer and cheaper anywhere else. Yeah. 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 Like you're really just protected. Wise. Maybe I'm just an idiot for doing these. <laughs> well, uh, no. <laughs> but I think we designed a society that disincentivizes people right. from doing good because right. they will. They're clearly putting that themselves at some sort of risk when you sign a waiver. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's what a waiver is. Um, that's what a waiver is. Uh, it, it's funny because uh, I actually get to experience, at least for the first time in a long time, the line that I do when, when it comes to volunteering, right? We have all of this red tape that we tell employees to consider and that they actually cannot volunteer unless they've read and abide by those guidelines, which of course they don't. Right. And so when they like say, hey, I volunteered, but I didn't read the guidelines. We're like, okay, we need you need we need you to like look at this waiver. It's not just photo release, but it's actually that you understand the guidelines and you don't hold us accountable for anything that goes wrong. Also, like we even include in the guidelines, like if there's a ladder, hold on to the ladder and make sure that like the person who's going up the ladder is like like things that would underscore that like we are not responsible for you. you are engaging in this alone um or of your own of your own villain and um good luck <laughs> <laughs> i do think like uh, i used to think like oh it's so dumb that the mcdonald's cup has to say that the liquid is hot and and like that's the lowest level example because that was like a lawsuit that we learned about in high school about how you have to disclose things but the holding the ladder, like I can imagine somebody who's never done any construction work at all doesn't know why holding the ladder is important. So like there is like this layer of things that I would take for granted that I guess just does need to be written down and like you need to see this. And there's a certain number of people who are going to be like, I know how to hold the ladder. I know not to hold the, the knife you know how to cut a cut things with a knife? Is you're supposed to go like this, and you cut it like this, so you can yeah. never chop yeah. your own fingers. Yeah, I'm doing a visual, yeah. so listeners don't know what I'm talking about. But there's a list of things that like I mm-hmm. already know, and there's a list that are obvious, and there's a list of things that I don't already know and are obvious. <laughs> and I guess it's worthwhile to write those things down, and obviously for legal reasons that I hope just end up becoming safety reasons that, that these things need to be printed out and made explicit and then made to make sure that the person has seen them. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'd like to believe that too. Uh, but it is for legal reasons. It is just a way of covering your behind. Uh, and uh, yeah, we, I mean, it, you know, we use that, that precedent or that, um, what's that word? Um, I guess we use these guidelines or these terms and conditions against folks, right? You know, to, to yeah, to make sure that yeah, you know, exactly that we're protected because it's ultimately about you know protecting us. Uh, but you get to have the clout. You get to have the ability to say that you volunteered on behalf of us by uh, signing your name to it, and uh, yeah, you get a T-shirt if that. <laughs> um, it's a business. Hmm. Albeit uh, a, a uh, 
yeah, a sort of warm and cheery one, at least uh, on the outside. I have also been volunteering. Mm -hmm. uh, I volunteer at the RSPCA on the weekends. Uh, that's what I've been doing instead of recording this podcast on the, in the Saturday mornings. Uh, I go out. It's like an hour away. That is the one big downside is it's a long way to get there and a long way back. And uh, it's a dog shelter. And I've always wanted to work with dogs. And I'm using it sort of as a way for me to figure out what I need to know as a potential dog owner. And a good way to do that is to be around dogs. Uh, and there was a... You know, a training that was half a day, and then basically I just show up and I walk the dogs and give them treats and clean up poop and do whatever the animal attendants, who are the paid people who run the shelter, uh, want me to do. And it's a very, uh, it's a, it's a learning experience, but it's, it's, it's more organized than other dog shelters that I volunteered at because it's like the Sydney dog shelter, but it is less organized than I would expect i guess but then when you put it in the frame of volunteering it's like well how much how much energy and effort can you allocate to people coming by and and like basically i just walk some dogs and hang out with dogs for a couple hours and that's literally what they want and that's literally all you have to do and it's it feels as helpful for me you know it's like a little therapy dog session which we used to have <laughs> yeah, in the cathedral of learning uh but but just for me um and getting the dogs outside mm -hmm. is, is great, and they all have personalities, and yeah, they're very fun. It sounds like way simpler work. Um, yes, that's the other thing, is I'm not mm -hmm. using my brain mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just, yeah. I just There's no the logistics dogs. attached and to it, a... it's just, yeah, hey, love this dog. <laughs> yeah, there, there are logistics, so there's like tiers of dogs that you're allowed to walk, so there's like... Uh, Red Star dogs are dogs that only animal attendants could walk or attend to. And then there's like a tier that goes down to the Green Star. And the Green Star dog is like a dog that'll do whatever you want. No issues, no health problems. Blue Star dog is a dog that's going to pull on the lead, which they call a, which is what right. we would call a leash. They call <laughs> leads. Uh, and that's basically not a problem for me because I'm like a 200 pound, six foot Hulk, compared to some people right. are small you know and that if you give a husky to a child the child right. is being pulled. <laughs> you know what i mean it's the other way around uh and then there's different dogs with health problems so do you know what hookworm is uh is that's that or tapeworm ringworm 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 and hookworm okay. are two different things hookworm is a literal worm that exists in the feces of dogs and and yeah, I, there's all these, there are rules, and I don't right, want to right, give right. the distinction that there's not, that's disorganized, but um, yeah, compared to programming a system, I just have to walk the dogs, and my brain can be like empty and free. It's like meditating. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And you do this regularly, right? Yeah. So there's almost, you know, you, you, you keep getting these benefits out of it. It's that, that, that positive reinforcement. Uh, yeah. And there are dogs that are, some dogs like get adopted right away and some dogs have been there for a while and it's kind of sad for those dogs. But then you get to know them and they know you and I don't know, animal people relationships yeah. are I mean, interesting. It, you, know, you get to have that surrogate relationship with somebody without any of that. I mean, it's not like you're not responsible for them, but you're not really because you get to go home and uh, yeah. Uh, 
have your own life. Yeah. And I think of anybody who fosters animals, you know, in that way, like they're doing this admirable work, but they get to have the perk of like, well, you know, they, they don't stay with them unless for whatever reason they don't get adopted. And then, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about that too, cause it's, it's, you know, they have kennels and they're pretty big, I think in terms of dog cages, but then you think about how long they spend in this concrete, platform area and it's like oh that's it's awful you know to think about if you had to sleep in that kennel for weeks on end it's it's pretty scary and then that's why the dogs are so like thankful and happy to be outside yeah i have um i have produced a in my effort to get off of instagram it's just sort of reallocate my Mm -hmm. photography uh how i how i think about my wildlife photography stuff, I started doing this thing that I call a hike light email newsletter thing. And I sent out my first one. It was a long process about uh, the flying foxes in Sydney, which are, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot here, but they, they're vulnerable and they're uh, awesome because it's crazy. You just look up in the sky, you see bats flying around, giant bats like this big and then bigger with wings, you know, like huge 40 pound flying foxes (laughs) flying around and then um i got into like well flying fox is a dumb name so what's the indigenous name of the flying fox in this area and that led me down a huge rabbit hole because okay so i got this book called the sydney language by jacqueline troy or jacqueline troy but it's spelled jacqueline but i don't know um but they wrote this book about the language of the people that used to live here and that those people mm. are usually attributed to be calling the Eora or the Darug. And that's generally an, an inland, inland is the Darug and the coastal people are the Eora. Uh, but we don't even really know because they were the first people, they made first contact, you know, with the European invaders. And that means that they are perhaps one of the most fragmented and right. least documented. Uh, mm-hmm. due to the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. violence and uh, yeah, colonialization. Um, so I learned a lot about uh, early you know, contact times, I guess you would call them, colonial, pre-colonial, and what that looked like in terms of language. Um, all because I was trying to figure out what the name of the flying foxes were. And my Wi-Fi just, yep, ugh, yep, yep. ugh, great. That said, no, I, I, um, you know, it was making me think, you were, you were talking about, you know, uh, sort of the indigenous folks, and I don't know, to what extent, have we talked a lot about, um, like, land acknowledgement or land back movements? I think we did, I think we did, because when I first moved here, I was sort of, Maybe not, I don't know what the right word is, surprised, interested by mm-hmm. the acknowledgement of lands in public places and that how at the beginning of most concerts or sporting mm-hmm. events, mm-hmm. there's an acknowledgement of land and country and what that means. And, and yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, I wonder to what extent like land, like back, right? Is that just like that taking that step further? You know, it's repatriation in a way, uh, you know, it's happening for a lot of um 
I would say museum artifacts, right? It's like, oh, instead of just like keeping this Egyptian thing in, I don't know, like Berlin, let's just like, yeah. So, um, and I guess, you know, is that, is the research um, that you're seeing sort of an extension of that, of that work, right? Of like, not just like, you know, uh, paying you know homage right to the folks who have been here but also like uh, that it's it's part of this ongoing uh explicit or implicit movement to uh kind of uh, reclaim that space that time and that um and that authority yeah i think um in doing this research i discovered discovered uh uh, I, I read up on a number of people, <laughs> uh, a number of people who, so in Australia, there's this thing called a nat native land entitlement or something, uh, not an expert, but basically if you can prove, which is gross, that, uh, that this land belonged to a certain people, you can allocate it back to them and away from the Australian government. So the, the one big example is Kakadu, which is this, uh, national park that I went to a while ago, um, and it's also tied to this gross uranium mine, and it's definitely all gross because the people in power are yeah. the people in power, and they're white. <laughs> I wonder why. What? Uh, uh, yeah, basically, uh, there's this guy who is referenced in this book, The Sydney Language. The Sydney Language is largely a dictionary, but has a nice pre preface to everything. And one of the guys is just an amateur anthropologist, which is a can of worms that I don't really want to get into either because he's not affiliated with a university or a government, isn't affiliated with anything. He's basically just a, a rich guy who had some free time and he started living with and talking with the Aboriginal people uh, of his area. And then uh, his work was later referenced to describe who owned what because a lot of the problem is that this stuff just wasn't recorded it is just not known like the the culture and language and lifestyles of the aboriginal people have been purposefully obfuscated and destroyed to make sure that the real culture true important people you know uh own the land uh i forget where i was going but yeah native land acknowledgement and entitlement uh is definitely a thing and uh i'm more and more aware of it as i learn about the land that i live on yeah and it seems that you know it, it's operating at a level that's more accelerated or, or certainly more like just focused and uh attentive uh than say what's going on you know that is here. my impression as well. right right um and i wonder what about i guess australian culture or or um life or I guess, you know, education uh, mm -hmm. gets people to that point where it's part of the cultural consciousness. Uh, maybe you can't really erase like Australia from from that. Like, you know, inherently uh, it's it. Uh, you're you're uh, what's the word? You're always interfacing with, I think, that, you know, it the. Uh, mm, the acknowledgement and that movement, right? You're seeing that in, um, what was it that uh, earlier we were talking about? I don't know if we ever recorded this thought about like you seeing a site that was, uh, like there was some sort of plaque or commemoration that mm -hmm. acknowledged, you know, that it was some sort of, uh, yeah, historic kind of site, right? Preserved site, you know, that was related to, uh, folk 
the indigenous community over there. Um, and again, just like it's it's just reinforced in a way that's just a lot more pointed than it would be here. It, yeah, I think it just feels more common. Like, hmm. um, I think it's it's hard. It's impossible to really compare these two countries. They just have different histories, right. but they have this shared thing that is that the land was stolen and is is stolen <laughs> and was taken forcefully and and how people uh, reconcile that or deal with that is, is different and and one of the things is just it is just more common in my experience in my limited view uh, that there's more attributions like this land is Gadigal land of the Eora nation and like in my yoga class the the woman says that before yoga and yeah and at the library there's a plaque that says the traditional landowners are the Gadigal people of the Eora nation. And yeah, it just, there's just a lot more of that in every, in the parts of life that I participate in, which right. is its own scope. Yes. Yes. So. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, again, yeah, it is perhaps different. Like it is, it is different, but, uh, I don't know. I see it as aspirational, uh, in the spaces yeah. that I want to live in, obviously. Yeah. So, uh, and the conversations that I want to have about, yeah, uh, yeah. There was also a um, a national apology, and I don't have all the details, and I forget the the prime minister who did it. But the prime minister at the time like gave a formal apology from the nation of Australia to the Aboriginal people, which is, I mean, it's the right thing to do, but it is also so meaningless i know that that's that's not the right word because it means a lot but it is also not it is not functional i think and uh, maybe it is again maybe that came with a bunch of um land entitlements i don't know what it means but yeah that, i don't think there's been a similar thing from america is what i'm trying to say yeah no there's no real like <sighs> reparations or restitution you know attached to yeah. the politics to that apology so um yeah it's uh i'll believe it till i see it mm -hmm. yeah I'm, I'm also doing a visual gesture of my knee but uh because that's yes. the way that yeah. the world works so um uh, uh. well we can't end it on there yeah, I know. I'm like, well, how do we get out <laughs> do we, of this? <laughs> um, uh, uh. But I do love that you're, you're uh, I guess, to tie it all back to how you kind of first brought this up is like photography, right? Or rather, you're getting out there, you're, 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 you're engaging in hobbies that are, um, if not like anti-social media, at least, you know, uh, less, uh, I guess, digitally ascribed right it's you're doing it for you and uh uh it's still it's still digital right it's still email sure. but it is important to me to like the whole reason was like i want to be able to attribute the indigenous names of these animals that i see to the photos instead of just using the, the like so there's this whole blog post in there that's like talking about naming things and how English common names, like they don't even make sense half the time. What What is a zebra fish? What is a uh, hmm. a bull shark? Hmm. What is a mm -hmm. flying fox? It's not a fox, you know? Yeah. It's like all of these things. And then I talk about scientific names. And then the, the okay, the crazy link between all this is the guy who who started binomial nomenclature, Carl Linnaeus, yes. the, the, the Linnaeus form of, of scientific mm -hmm. classification, mm -hmm. which we still use most of today, 
Um, he had he had students who he called apostles, which is a no. Uh, yep, which is a bundle of things. Whoa. And one of those apostles was Joseph Banks, who would be the guy who showed up here in 1770. Uh, Joseph Banks was the botanist, and he has a genus named after him, and he has, you know, roads and towns named after him, Banksia. And he was one of this guy's apostles. And then Joseph Banks was like the main proponent of putting a penal colony here. And I was like, what? What a, what a circle. What a small, tiny world. Wait, I'm just, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to process yeah, yeah. this all. What, like, you mean to tell me that the like mm-hmm. person who, who just thought of this of taxonomy, yes. right? Inculcate, right? Like basically paved the way for his disciple, his, his his future generations to also, right, uh, taxonomize and categorize yes. and, uh, and eventually oppress people. Yes, sorry, there is one missing piece. There's one, it's not, it's not as direct as that. Sure, it sure, is. sure. Carl Lanus had an apostle. That apostle was Daniel Solander, and he has names after himself him, here. Daniel Solander was on the Endeavor with Joseph Banks. The Endeavor is the ship that James Cook, who we also know for colonizing uh, many places, uh, and whose death was by the hands of Hawaiians who saw the threat that he came and he was right thankfully murdered right 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 right, right. in in hawaii uh <laughs> on valentine's day so that's the fun thing you can celebrate oh. if you're not if you're not celebrating uh non-platonic love yeah the more you know i love that you can celebrate the death of that guy okay and then so that was 1770 uh joseph banks goes back to england and then 1778 is the uh, the first fleet with Arthur Philip is the other is the captain of the ship who really started, who started the colony. Yeah, I think that's um, it's wild. It was a it was a fascinating learning experience yeah. for me because I just don't have this, and I suspect most Australians don't yeah. know. I mean, not this specific version, but like I I did, couldn't keep track of Captain Cook versus Arthur Philip versus the Endeavor versus the First Fleet. You know, there's a colonization history here that I just don't have because uh, I'm American. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I needed to learn this stuff, and I'm glad to have gotten it from a book that is from a perspective that I think is underrepresented in society. That's a better, yeah, that, I think that's 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 a better arc than uh, <laughs> the one that I took us to. Um, yeah. But no, thank you for sharing. Uh, and yeah, uh, just let's rethink Flying Foxes. Uh, yeah. 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 Gosh, I want to. Well, now I want to look this up. Like, how big is it? And so, is that the latest edition in your library, or? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, I bought this. I read Askawada, which is the late Nintendo CEO, uh, Satoru Wada, programmer. Uh, he's got a very famous quote. He said, "On my business card, it says I'm CEO. In my mind, I'm a programmer, but in my heart, I'm a gamer." Uh, okay. Uh, that's a good quote, but that book is not good. It is, uh, it feels like a cash grab. I don't want to be too insulting. Maybe there's translation issues, but it's just, it's a lot of fluff. It's a lot of Satoru Wada saying, oh, sometimes you need to stick to your guns and other times you need to innovate. And it's just a lot of hmm. generic nonsenses. Right. And I, I don't know, it feels like this is a much better book to be written about him than this. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's a bestseller. 
and my opinion doesn't matter. Uh, and then the other book that I'm reading is uh, uh, Press Reset by Jason Schreier, who's a video game journalist at Bloomberg now. A uh, very important, in my opinion, journalist for workers' rights and, and things like that. And this is a collection of stories about video game companies that were shuttered and lots of interesting stuff. That we, I mean, we're running out of time. We have too many, too many things to talk about. But those are in my bookshelf. Uh, and then it's just a lot of animal reference books. <laughs> sounds great. It's it sounds uh, so distinctly different than mine, and it's uh, but it's also very it's very much you. I love it. Uh, what do you I got? What I do you mostly read? have cookbooks, um, except I don't really cook. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I could see you in bed just flipping yeah, through. Uh, that's me. Uh, <laughs> Who's that bare, Oh yeah, yes, you, yeah. Just uh, you hit in your head. It's Julia Child reading the narration. <laughs> that's uh, it. That's really it. That's like say no more. Um, yeah, that's that would. I'd say that's basically it. Uh, I I I base. I like to return to these. Uh, I don't know these memoirs of like really. Uh, kind of interesting and, and unique kind of careers uh one is this uh book called geisha a life so it's about like the the artistry and the like the um the craft of being a geisha that in many ways is a response to uh, memoirs of a geisha that kind of like uh was one of those uh, escapist uh court kind of what's the word or orientalist books from the 90s that really kind of like talked about this culture but of course it was written by a white guy and so uh mm. it's a way of reclaiming that um so sonia sotomayor's um memoir my beloved world so uh it's great to kind of uh see that the uh, first latina uh supreme court justice uh had a lot of issues with relationships and was like very much like sure this like star pupil but uh also has like diabetes and has their own um like struggles that aren't just uh legal stuff or you know yeah, uh, yeah. and that her story i don't know her story is super powerful and i remember really loving it when i was in college when i first read it um Mm, there's this one piece of like poetry that uh, I reread a lot. It's called Bluets, or is it Blues? I don't really know how you say it. It's by Maggie Nelson. And it's basically like kind of like a breakup book, uh, but it's yeah. about the color blue and uh, being obsessed with the color blue and all of it. You know, it's it's kind of a history about it, but it's also about like I'm sad. <laughs> so oh, yeah. Okay. I like that. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would definitely recommend it. And then, yes, of course, cookbooks for things that... Uh, lots of warm, comforting meals that, uh, as someone who lives alone, uh, I don't really uh, delve into. But it's it's nice. It's nice to have it on what would eventually will be uh, a coffee table if I... Do you, you read the cookbook? Yes, because there is a lot of um, sometimes fluff but sometimes like really practical knowledge or I think you get to know what their philosophy about cooking is through the cookbook. It isn't just like, okay, add butter. It, it's, <laughs> uh, it, it more often than not comes from a place of, I think just deep connection to people, right? It's, you know, the, the cooking is the vehicle, 
but mm-hmm. it's really about that that companionship, that fellowship, that um, that that sense of kindness. I always equate cooking as uh, a really pure form of love, cooking for, cooking for people you love, as uh, you know. And so, um, yeah, it's uh, if anything, it's it's ways of seeing how passionate people are about other people. Uh, and I think to themselves to a degree, right? You'll find that one meal that's just like, yes, this is self-care, right? Please eat this brownie in a thing. Uh, so, uh, yeah, they're not, it's all, I guess if you look at this collection, at least what I've brought with me to this apartment, it's mostly fluff, but I would say it's it's uh, very comforting fluff. And then there's of course a book called 199 Cemeteries to See Before You Die. That's a good mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. I've only seen two of them, I think, so far. <laughs> so, oh, the uh, what's the one in Pittsburgh? Ooh, Allegheny Cemetery. Yeah, that's yeah, a good one. it's a good one. It's a really good one. Oh, so uh, there is on the way to the RSPCA. This is a good callback. Okay. There, we pass by a cemetery, and the cemetery is called Rookwood Cemetery on Google Maps. But the front of the gate says Rookwood Necropolis. Ooh. And I was like, whoa, so metal. Who is, like, people don't call things necropolises yeah. anymore. And I, <laughs> I, let's bring it back. Is that is that a podcast? Are we going to, are we going to, you know, I call it's its own city of the dead, right? You're going to look at this on Spotify when it comes, you know, uh, yeah, weeks, months from now and be like, yeah, that's just this little, this little archive of, um, Thoughts and feelings about the week. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I think we did uh, what we set out to do. Congratulations, right? Oh, you too, Taylor. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's been a it's been a wild ride. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's been a wild two years. It's probably been the most f- wild two years mm-hmm. of my life. Maybe. Same, yeah, same. Probably. A lot of change. Uh, a lot, lot of change. change. And uh, sometimes, sometimes growth, sometimes not. It's uh, it's been great. It's been great getting through all of it with you uh, on a pretty regular basis. And I think that that regularity kept me sane and calm and all sorts of things. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Taylor. Um, bye. <laughs> bye. Bye.